Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jack and Ian's retail review of 2023. So this is Ian Scott and my good friend, Jack Stratton. Hi, Jack. Hi, guys. Hi, Ian. Hey, Jamie. Very well, very well. I'm so pleased that we're sitting down to actually do this. Uh, Jack and I first met face to face in January last year at the NRS show in New York. Um, and we had a little bit of a mutual appreciation love fest for a while. Um, and I remember Jack <laughs> turning around and saying, yeah, I'd love to work with you, but I'm not sure you'd be interested. And I was like, but I'd love to work with you as well. Um, <laughs> in them, we've done some amazing things catching up all around the world, haven't we? Yes, yeah, it's been great. I was thinking just before we um, finally got this together, um, we haven't, by the way, got a proper name for it yet because we've been talking for ages and we're always both travelling around. But um, we are hoping that this can become a more formal thing. We're hoping yeah. that sort of once a month we can get together, report, record a podcast and be able to basically share the the stores and retail experiences we've most enjoyed each month in our on our travels um so this is kind of the beginning of that but yeah we've done where have we done this year we did new york together chicago, chicago together london. a couple in london for sure but we then missed also, each other in berlin didn't we i think we were literally days yeah. apart we almost met up in berlin yeah. but it's not it's been nice even with berlin and other cities we, we, we're kind of constantly trading our favorite stops now trading contacts i think i did you know i i forgot to tell you this i was in a berlin coming which store in berlin and um the a person, I was basically booking something the next day saying, you know, I'm going to bring a group in. And they looked at me and they said, hang on, didn't you already bring a group in today? You, you, what, you're, there was an English guy and I was like, yeah, that's Ian, isn't it? And they were like, yeah, yeah that's Ian. <laughs> getting around a bit i mean it's it is it is wonderful and we're, go, we're going to go through a, a top 10 list of our favorite retail experiences from the year where we put five in each but yeah there are there are moments where we're sort of spending time together and, and you jokingly called us retail twins and i know exactly what you mean you know i've not met anyone else that shares that passion for retail but also just goes out and visits shops because you just want to see what's going on so it's it's been one of my absolute pleasures this year is finally meeting up with you and the way that we have partnered and i I try and explain to people you know we are direct competitors in our jobs yeah <laughs> we do almost identical jobs but instead of competing we actually collaborate and the number of times you sent me through information you know, i'll go into amsterdam and you'll send me a list of stuff through you know and we share stuff and it and, and to me that's how business should be our, our our world of retail is a very small gene pool of people like yeah. us uh, and I would much rather work together and share and it, and it has been one of my absolute pleasures just visiting and we're down in London on Friday visiting a shop together as well it's it's one of the things that uh, really puts a smile on my face yeah it's been great and also you know we talked about this before we will probably in this top 10 but we look at retail in quite a different ways so that's what's really nice yeah um i think we have that, those sort of different perspectives but um but yeah, yeah. Ian, i'm going to let you begin with um sure. with the top 10 so we've got yes what, sort of five each on this and we've got, we've got five each merge and them together I, I try to define most retail experiences. So it's not about yeah. new shops. Some of these have been around for a while. Some are coming. Um, and so it's just things that, are, that, that have resonated and stuck in our mind. And at number 10, I wanted to start with the Westfield development at Hamburg. I had one day in Hamburg a couple of months ago. Um, and a lovely guy from Westfield invited me to come and see this development. That's not opening until April next year. But what struck me was the sheer scale of the investment. It was something that started in 2017 and will be opening in 2024. And even though COVID hit, they, they, they doubled down and said, no, this is the right thing to do. And it's 414,000 square metres of development. Jesus. It's a huge development. Now, just over 100,000 square metres is pure retail. 
but they have a whole lot of residential, leisure, office. There's even a ferry port terminal because it's it's on the banks of the river. Mm-hmm. And it's on three levels. You know, I went into the Westfield office and you saw one of those classic big 3D models that architects yeah. create. And it lifted up. And you got a sense of, the, of, of just how much is going on when you saw it on three levels. And there's some wonderful thinking around how they're developing it. Um, it was also pointed out to me that on the horizon, on the other side of the river, is a, it was a concrete plant. And they bought the concrete plant so that they could control the quality and supply of concrete to the whole development, as well as minimizing their um, carbon footprint, instead of shipping, you know, concrete from all over the, the sort of the country and Europe as well. And it was mm. just so extensive and well thought out. And, and just seeing that that desire to create this hub um, for my first time in Hamburg. But what I found was that it's the second city, which I wasn't aware of. It's one of those mm. big traditional industrial cities. And that investment in retail is amazing. So I'm looking forward to returning next year to see how it's developed. And it's just great to see these companies still investing in these sort of huge experiences. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to try and um, try and visit myself. I've always wanted to check out retail in Hamburg. How good things. Um, There's some good stuff, great. yeah. So we start with Westfield and Hamburg. I'm going to... Um, so yeah. number nine was was one of yours tracksmith you took me to the london store but you you made reference to the boston one so what was it about that do you know what it was kind of it's not that um it's necessarily more or less remarkable than the london one for anyone that's seen it so tracksmith um a very kind of like um focused brand so they're a running brand but i the story of this was that i was preparing a retail tour in boston for a client and they were based in Boston. They knew it quite well. And I was doing the normal thing of being in and around Newbury street. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling of like, well, a lot of this feels, there was some interesting concepts, but I couldn't really get to grips with, you know, what's different or whatever. And then I completely unplanned. So I had my list whenever I go to a place, I'm sure just like you, Ian, I have my plan of where I'm going mm-hmm. to check out areas, specific stores, you know, we research everything, but then I completely by accident came across Tracksmith just because I literally liked the logo. I'd never even heard of them. And I went in and this guy was was amazing. He was so, it, it was that classic, uh, classically brilliant service member who was kind of helpful, but not pushy. And he was he heard my accent immediately was getting talking to me about um, about the UK, about UK running scene, UK brands. Anyway, immediately when I was in the store, they have like kind of first level is retail, but it's quite open and spacious. And then um, and then upstairs, I think. So it's one of those kind of two tiered stores you get on Newbury Street yeah. and the, then um, upstairs they had um, the kind of the club area, the running area. And he said, that's how we think of this space. It's like a club space. So yeah, there's some retail, but it's a running club. And immediately I was like, this is rapper. This is rapper for running. Yeah. Then I mentioned to him, this is like rapper. And he said, yeah, well, um, a couple of our kind of key retail people, head office people are ex-rapper. Um, yeah. So it's been heavily influenced by that. And I immediately got it. And so this store that was kind of nice, but you know, you didn't immediately get he then tells me, oh, every Sunday there's two, three hundred people lining up here um, to wow. do a run around the block. And then they come back for coffee. And then there was a separate room that had like 200 bananas in it and a coffee machine. And I loved it because I yeah. thought, well, this is real, isn't it? This isn't like, like with all due respect, when Nike do certain events like that, it often feels nowadays a little bit heavy handed. Like it's yeah. really branded and high concept. And Tracksmith, do you know what they had? They had bananas, coffee and a toilet because you know what else does a runner need you know like yeah. they just 
it was really sparse and clear. And he said, you know, it's all about the community. And he told me this thing, how they sponsored amateur athletes rather than professionals, which I loved. Lovely. Um, and the branding was really authentic. It was very like a kind of college level thing. Um, yeah. Just thought it was great. And then they transferred over now to London. That's doing great. Their Marlebone store, again, is very much um, club community focused yeah. like Rafa. And I'm, I'm just a really big believer in that model for the future of physical retail is community focused, building slowly, but, but, um, but, in a way that really builds loyalty, like Rafa and, and Tracksmith do. Yeah. So I kind of fell in love, fell in love with the brand from there. Well, I, I enjoyed visiting the London one with you, and I completely got what you said. It, there is heavy Rafa vibes, particularly around that relaxed approach. The products on display—it's not in your face. It's almost like you buy into no. the brand and then you want to shop rather than going to the shop to buy. Um, and I'm seeing more and more of this relaxed social community building. And I think it's one of the really clever uses of physical space. Everyone talks about experiential. And I get sick of hearing that because um, it's too obvious and people are, as you say, can be a bit heavy handed with it. With, with brands like Tracksmith and Rafa, it's it, it doesn't feel like a clever, sneaky tactic to make you buy more. It feels authentic as in just come and hang out with us. And, yeah, and to, absolutely. that's wonderful. One of the best ways of creating footfall in your store is to not to feel like you're selling at people. And I, th I think they're brilliant. And, and I hope we see more stores like this coming through. Obviously, with Tracksmith and Rafa, you've got running and cycling. I'd love to see this spill out into more main street, main high street fashion, as well as the sports stuff. Sports often pick up on these because their events are obviously sporting events. But I'd love yeah. to see, I'd love to see a Next or a Zara find a way of building a community like that as well. That's totally really agree. Yeah. So number right. eight on our list was Tiffany. Um, when yeah. I was in New York. Um, it was one of the stores I really wanted to visit um, because of the sheer grandeur of a luxury band. So I went into this store and I think it's something like seven or eight floors. I knew it was going to be beautiful. I knew it was going to be well fitted out. But it just stunned me with that sheer attention to every single detail. You go peering at, you know, the plaster in the corner where it meets the wall. Everything was perfectly done and there was space. But the thing that really, really stood out to me was the staff. You know, if you walk down Bond Street in London, there's an exclusivity. And someone like you and I, I'm going in to check out the store. And it's obvious I'm not a customer. And the moment you get your phone out to take pictures, you're treated like a potential thief. You know, and I can kind of understand, yeah. I, you know, people take a look at me and it's almost like the uh, pretty woman scene. They take one look at me and go, you ain't buying in this store. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm going to take photos. So the, the, the assumption then is, well, if you're not buying, you're going to be stealing. Um, you know, and then there's a vibe I get. And there's a couple of times I remember going around the... Um, uh, Asprey store and and literally the guy was following me around waiting for me to try and steal something in Tiffany the staff knew that there were going to be a lot of tire kickers and gawpers and instagrammers and people like you and me coming in and we were welcomed with open arms all the store store staff were welcoming friendly what would you like to see do you want to take some photos do you want me in the picture do you want me to get out the picture and they've been briefed to be completely welcoming and they know that half the footfall in that store is to come gawp at the brand and the store and they welcomed it and it was really refreshing for a luxury brand to be like that and I wish more of them were like this and I know there's an element of that friction exclusivity and slight difficultness around luxury personally I think that's bullshit I think they should be more welcoming um, because you've got kids that will aspire to buy these luxury brands because they have disposable income. 
as well as the classic sort of elite customer as well. So I hope more that get to do it. It was a wonderful store. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny, I've been talking with a few luxury retailers this year about this. So I was in Dior Avenue Montaigne. Didn't put this on my top 10, but was tempted to. Um, yeah. Because for the same reason, really, I mean, Dior Avenue Montaigne, the kind of brand home in Paris is insane. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful stores I've ever seen. But because it's so beautiful, because there's normally huge lots of security guards, all the trappings of those spaces, you expect... I expect to go in and be quite unwelcome. And it, it was exactly what you've described in Tiffany's. They've really worked hard on making sure, yeah. I guess, that staff are incentivized in different ways. And they're really brilliantly kind of welcoming. You know, um, they met me, let me and my, you know, you know, we're like, we're going with like an umbrella and a backpack. And, yes. um, you know, it's not, it's not what they're looking for. But that, no. I went and sat down and had a cup of coffee and they couldn't have been, they couldn't have been more kind of welcoming and, someone yeah. else is telling about the story so i totally get that it's amazing when you have that experience and it's hard for a luxury brand to to change in that way so um yeah great very, example very much so yeah i love it and i mean i was given a tour of the boss store on regent street which is not as, as luxury as, as those two brands but again there's a welcoming nature that yeah. is a slight surprise you half expect sort of snobbery with the premium and luxury brands but the successful ones will make it more accessible and i do think that's the future for them because they will capture these younger kids who will have disposable income. They won't have mortgages. They won't have kids. They'll be staying at home with their parents and they like to spend their money on the things they like. And you capture them and you've got them for life. So, yeah, so from totally the extreme luxury of Tiffany, we're now going to mainstream Uniqlo. And, and I'm so pleased you put this on the list because it would have been on mine if you didn't. That's Uniqlo. Yeah. And you make reference to Paris, Madrid and London stores particularly. Yeah, um, and I know me and Ian are both massive. There's a few brands that I think we were really strongly aligned on. Uniqlo would definitely be one of them. I mean, let everyone loves Uniqlo because for so many reasons. I mean, you know, from being a, a mainstream fashion business that actually makes clothes that last, that look good, but really, really properly, it lasts and it does. I mean, and they talk about this a lot. Um, but the, the, the reason I picked them in these specific stores is I'm constantly blown away at the moment when they are opening new flagships. It's... Honestly, these stores and a few of them I've seen this year would give luxury stores a run for their money in yeah. terms of the way they're designed, in terms of the experience when you're in it. It's extraordinary. That's mm. why they're so successful. And it's this idea I've been talking a lot that they're making. Um, I, I really think they're offering um, luck, a sense of luxury to absolutely anyone. And I think that is such an incredibly clever approach because, yeah. of course, they're, they're, they're a mainstream fashion brand. But also, I think for a lot of people, Uniqlo is a real experience. So these stores, to the Madrid flagship, which basically is like this kind of, it feels like um, it feels like walking into um, an art gallery, like a kind of two or 300 year old art gallery. Um, mm. All these amazing frescoes, um, extraordinary paintings on the wall. Now, most retailers take over that space and obviously they strip everything out and Uniqlo haven't. They just no. put their stuff and in there. They talk about the building itself. They tell the story. They have their amazing, by the way, self-checkouts that work so brilliantly. There's one room, and I, I, hope, I think I shared a picture of it. The self-checkouts are up against this kind of two, three hundred-year-old painting, this giant painting. And, yeah. and I, it's so brilliant because it's like you look at it and you think, yeah, why not? Because Uniqlo mm -hmm. is saying, well, we still want you to experience the joy of this amazing building. But actually yeah. also you can experience the joy of putting all your stuff in this RFID uh, check out yes. and i don't know why why not have two things like that going hand in hand and it's such a good experience in paris so they just reopened i mean the le marais store is amazing yes. anyway but um the uh the reopened opera store 
again, it's just extraordinary. But do you know what? It's different to the Madrid one. And again, the the reopens uh, the Covent Garden space. So um, the Uniqlo Covent Garden, which is just an amazing space that we both yeah. love as well. And again, architecturally, totally different space. So yes. These three stores couldn't look more different. But somehow they've made it Uniqlo without altering the architecture, yeah. the design of the building. And it all works. It makes sense. You don't go in and think, well, this doesn't, it all works. It fits perfectly. And it's just, I think it really shows the whole world, whatever kind of brand you are, if you're ambitious enough, you can actually take on these really difficult buildings and make them work. And the joy that that adds as a, as a, as a, as a customer, as a human being, because yeah. I'm, I'm convinced with those three stores, there's lots of people that walk around them and they aren't buying anything. They just want to see these extraordinary buildings and actually yeah. Uniqlo have kept them alive. Um, so credit Absolutely. to them. I, I agree. And I, I, I love how I'm, I'm assuming this is a conscious policy where they're embracing these old buildings full of history. You know, the La Marais Paris, Paris store, uh, our good friend Chris Igwe took me around there. And, and in the basement, they've kept all of the, the it was an old forge and they've kept all the machinery and glass cases. It's like yeah. a museum. And then, of course, on Regent Street, the old Austin Reed flagship, you've got that wonderful barbershop in the basement, which is protected and listed so they've got the old barber chairs everything in chrome mm. and, and and as you say the old um store uh, store at bluebird shop at bluebird um, yes that's it yeah exactly. area at the back so you have classic traditional uniglo at the front and this beautiful atrium space um and they they communicate so well anyway aside from the buildings i often showcase uniglo for the various types of communication they have in store and there's a lot of messaging that doesn't overwhelm uh, and they inform. I remember uh, the Regent Street store. They had little graphic talking about a Japanese cross stitch that they use for the repair. And then you have the beautiful introduction to the heat te technology with the color coding. Mm. Two by two meter wall dedicated to their in-house magazine. Uh, yep. Then they'll talk about the cotton, uh, sustainable sourcing of cotton and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a showcase on how to communicate. And it's a very contemporary concept that they're fitting into these old beautiful buildings and it, as you say it yeah. works so it's it's a wonderful approach and i hope they, do. And they you know they can't do every store like this you know these have to be flagships because of the cost but i love the fact that they're embracing them and as you say each one is unique because they're letting the store and the old building dictate the pace and the tone of voice it's wonderful yeah they're, they're, they're just great and i think um uh, you know, something I always finish up when I talk to people about Uniclass, I say, look, also after this wonderful experience of walking around this beautiful store, note two things. One, so many people buying stuff. Two, there's so much product. Yeah. So I think, you know, we often experience this. People think about stores as a battle between, you know, uh, yeah, okay, I can offer experience, but that means I can't have much product and I need product to sell stuff. Um, people talk about it in this really binary way. Uniqlo proof that you can have both. You can provide yes. really memorable shopping experience, but also just sell loads of stuff as well. It's entirely possible to yes. do both things. It just requires commitment, imagination. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I keep so, saying um, still post-COVID, 75% of all retail sales happen in a physical store. Yeah. And by all means, do your, do your Gen Z focus and your experience and all that bollocks. you still got to sell stuff. You, and yeah. it's the, the primary place to sell stuff and, and they get the mix well so number Absolutely. six on the list is lincoln co and i got to visit two of their stores in berlin and hamburg thanks to you i was aware of them and you reminded me and i got to, to to see them and and i always i always joke when i take people to these i said you know if you work in a design agency the creative team will come up with three ideas 
the one the client wants, the one that nudges it a bit further, and the one that comes at three o'clock in the morning after they've taken way too much caffeine and they think, sod it, I'm going to tell them what they really should do. And Lincoln Co., a bit like uh, the wonderful Gentle Monster, are brands that have called the bluff of the creative people and they go, let's do the batshit crazy idea. And it is wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. What you know, you go into the Berlin store and there's a cafe area and a bright yellow seating area and all these collaborative homeware stuff. And then this blue tiered space with bikes. And right at the back, half obscured by a wall, is the electric car that the company sells. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, pr product merchandising. It's hidden at the back as an afterthought. And then you go mm. upstairs and you have these beautiful paneled rooms with semi-reflective glass cubes as workspaces. You've got the chess toilet with chess pieces on the walls. Like you, you've gone into the, the head of Alice in Wonderland. Um, and then they've got this little changing room with loads of eyeballs on stalks. And and, yeah. and this stuff and the look on people's faces is unreal. I mean, what's what's your take on Lincoln Co? I uh, I I love them for exactly the same reason. I think you know. I think the first one I saw was the Amsterdam. The thing mm. that I love is that although overall there's a sense of what Link are doing in those different spaces, they're all completely different. So every yeah. time you're in, yeah, even the I think I saw there's one in Rome, and every time I've been to one. The design and those moments of kind of strange design that, that make yeah. people go, what is this? They're always different. It reminded me of Gentle Monster in the same way that Gentle mm. Monster's spaces are all completely different conceptually, all completely different. Yeah. Um, but united by a sense of imagination and creativity. I love them. I think there's a bit of me that goes, I have to be careful. I'm like, do I just love this? Because it's so different to, you know, yeah. and you, our job is walking up and down cities most of the time, looking yeah. at new stores. And we, we get sent. God knows how many press releases a week saying, look at our new store, it's amazing. Look at our new store, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, they aren't necessarily all amazing. No. But um, but the thing is, is, so when we see something really remarkable that isn't selling, of course, innately, it's exciting for us. Yes. But I'm, I'm the same as you. I think I link, I really, really do um, love, because actually there's a real logic to it. And I've said this to people, I think that actually they're not, so, so obviously the main thing that Link are doing is they aren't actually selling cars. They're selling car subscriptions. That's the main yes. goal. Um, and, and therefore, I think it does make sense that they're trying to sell something different because someone who's subscribing to a Link car, yes, they're wealthy and they might be into cars, but they're not a straightforward car buyer, right? No. So I don't think a straightforward car showroom makes sense. And I also think they do need to be in a city and they do need to tap into different things that that person might be interested yeah. in. It's not just about the car. It's about the world that that person might inhabit that yeah. so i do think there's a logic to the to the madness of link stores as well yes um yeah so that, that so i don't i think you know a lot of people might see it and go god that's crazy it's amazing but i don't see the relevance well yeah i don't think it is necessarily relevant to a car company that just sells cars but subscriptions no. i think it's interesting i i agree and the first question people ask when i show them is well are they selling any cars um, and, and the staff certainly in Berlin were saying, yes, we are. We are. You know, the, the people are buying into it. And all I would say is I went into the store. I was fascinated. And like you say, you and I sometimes have to temper our, our work head and what we do for a living and then try and think like a customer. But in the end, I went, I want to go and see this car. And I sat in the car uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. I actually thought it was a nice car. And all I would say, if they had a standard showroom, I wouldn't have even walked in the door. That showroom made me engage with the car at the end, putting my potential customer head on, not my retail, you know, consultant sort of observational head. Um, and I was intrigued. But also car dealerships is the worst 
quality of retail out there. Car showrooms are they're universally dreadful spaces. So I love that Link has come along, and it is a huge extreme shift to the other end of the spectrum. But even if some of the mainstream ones moved five percent because of it, I think it's a good thing. Uh, totally so, agree. So, I, I agree. Totally agree. You know, even even just the principle of what Link are doing, where they're offering a lot of space and they're showing for people to use in different ways, come and host an event, come and work from this space, yes. amazes me. Morgan, think of the amount of car showrooms in the UK that are just like empty for hours on end and they're quite big. Yes. You know, and, and why not just say to people, look, do you know what? Like, we've got coffee here. Come and work. If you own one of yes. our cars, come and work from here. I don't, just Absolutely. that feeling of trying to get people to use the space, I think that in itself um, isn't thought about enough. No, and like you say, where Tracksmith will have events where people come and use the space. Link, I mean, there's the co-working spaces. I saw it in the Hamburg yeah. store, which has the craziest changing room with a curved uh, mirrored wall. And you go into a mirrored space. <laughs> it was, I was taking a selfie of 15 Ians. It was really, really quite off-putting. Um, <laughs> have a workspace. And when I took last took my last group to Berlin to look around uh, the, the, the Link & Co store there, there were about a dozen people working in the space. It's a thoughtful driver. Come and enjoy it. Just like Boss on Regent Street again. They've opened, a, they call it a champagne coffee bar. Come and do your work. And I said to them, I normally sit in a Costa Coffee if I've got a Zoom call and I'm in London, because come and use the space. You don't have to buy yeah, something. That. You know, and that it's a full full driver. Come in and enjoy it. So I agree. Yeah. Right. That's number right. five. Number five is a really interesting one. Um, anyone yeah. know my views on this store? Um, I love you put it on the list because I agree absolutely why you're doing it. And we're talking about Jim Shark and their store on Regent Street. Yeah, so um, Ian, and I'll be honest, I think to some, I think to some degree, quite rightly, um, posted when it first opened that it felt a bit underwhelming. And I knew what Ian meant when he said initially about that, about Gymshark, and I agreed with him when he posted. Um, and But it was because it was almost a compliment to Gymshark, because actually what Ian mm. was saying was, this is a phenomenal brand, which it is. Yeah. Um, it's a community first brand. So let's not forget, this is basically a, a community, an online community, you know, YouTube and everything like that, for fitness lovers that had just emerged into this brand and um it was so exciting there's so much energy about it that that yeah. created its own pressure for when you open a physical store because yes. you're expecting so much from Jim Shark when they open it um but what i've realized is and this is so so rare from my experience i'm sure from yours is that it really feels like that store from when it opened has just got better and better and better absolutely i don't think it's any coincidence that from what i can see and what i've heard um uh, anecdotally is it's got busier it's actually yeah. doing better and better and better. Um, and it's not radically changed, but I think suddenly they just started focusing back on all that good community stuff. I regularly, yeah. now if you walk into that store, now most times I've taken groups in there recently. By the way, any retail retailers I take there, that is nine times out of 10, that's their favorite store. They say because it's busy, but it feels alive, feels like stuff's going on. Yeah. I think when it opened, I didn't totally get it. But do you know what? Now when you go in, the, um, the fitness area on the first floor, Normally the doors are open, and if not, you can hear people working out. You you understand it, you get it. The yeah. Gymshark community, this sort of cult of fitness lovers, they are going at it and really enjoying themselves. So you go upstairs now, normally, and there are people lifting weights in there. Yes, and yeah. So, and, and then also there's these big chalkboards now in front. Not some techie thing, just a good old chalkboard telling you, throughout that week, here are the classes that are going yeah. on. And on Sunday, here's a run that we're, 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 we're sponsoring, um, and people are going to go around the block quite funnily on running or on the other side of the road and they do a run as well 
So I think sometimes there might be like an on-running versus Jim Scott <laughs> race or something. I'd love to see Brilliant. that. Jim Scott, apparently they're getting hundreds of people now at the weekend running, just like Tracksmith do, because yeah. they're getting it's about that authenticity. And that feels to me what's really coming to the fore now is they haven't radically changed it. They've gone, do you know what? Let's just make sure this store does what um, what the brand always did online. It's just all about the community, all about yeah. events, all about people getting together and enjoying fitness. That's what it feels like now to me, the store. And then yeah. to be honest, nothing else really matters. And of course, the byproduct is people are buying so much stuff in there now. So I've heard it's doing really well. And the final mm-hmm. point of this, I can't um, reference the exact number because it's come from them directly from what I gather. But I've heard through the, the grapevine that they have really solid proof now of the halo effect of that store. So apparently quite a big percentage of their new customers in the UK now online or into their community are being driven by that store. Yeah. So the right. feeling would, was always, you know, it's, this is going to be where the online fans come as a bit yeah. of a pilgrimage, but actually they're now saying, no, no, it's driving new customers. There's a lot of young people right. probably from other countries as well who go to the store and think this is amazing. And then they're going to become potentially lifelong fans, which is yeah. for me and you, which is a real boon for the future of physical retail. Cause look Absolutely. what it can do. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, I and that's what a flagship should do. Flagship shouldn't be just sticking money in the till in that building. It should be giving people a touch point uh, when they're coming to London. You know, so you could be coming down from Huddersfield or from Plymouth and you have a day in London. You get to experience the brand. You know, my daughter's a huge Gymshark fan. She's the same. She she came to visit. Great to have the experience. Immerse yourself. Have a unique Joe the Juice smoothie and head back and i am so pleased one thing that has evolved massively from when it opened is the windows i was highly critical Mm. of the windows because they were bland they weren't telling stories i just photographed their christmas window this week and it is brilliant it's Mm. genuinely a really well designed uh, um, window and i always remember an article uh, that i read about uh, with ben francis the founder of jim shark as the store was opening and he, and he said we don't expect this store to be perfect but the next one will be and and having seen what he's done with the business i have absolute faith and i've been in maybe a dozen times and every time you're seeing these little incremental gains and steps and progress yes. which is what you want to see with a retailer you know it, a store is a test lab you never do it and go right i've sussed retail and sit back and lie on the beach and yeah. your money. it's constantly evolving because your customers are evolving and also your customers will come in with a different frame of mind and a different shopping mission every time as well and and i love to see that progress and evolution he's using that space really well so I, i'm really pleased yeah and, and so- i think um 12, uh, 12 month um, pop up in New York next year, Jim Shark. So for any of our um, US colleagues um, and friends, um, well worth checking out and looking at the, the growth over there. Ian, your um, your next one, I think, and uh, you know, again, this is something I could have easily chosen because I love them. Is uh, Marks Spencer. Yes, so we've gone from a, a, an online startup brand having a go at retail <laughs> to one of the most traditional legacy retailers. I've been highly critical of their stores for a number of years because they were the best at food and the worst at fashion for many years. Um, and I would stand in shops and pan a video from the food hall into the into the clothing going, here we are, 21st century food and 1970s retail for fashion. And then I got invited to the Stevenage store, the old uh, Debenham site last year um, to have a look around. And then more recently, a few months ago, um i i went to see the lead store that had been opened and got to visit the liverpool store in liverpool one the day before it opened 
And the fashion offer is superb now. They've, they've, they've really understood what needed to be done. So the experience, and I'm talking about the design, not so much the products, but it's, you know, the environment. And there's a, there's a sense of affordable luxury. And I feel I've got this lovely sort of pinky purple color scheme coming through. The segregation of the different products, simple things like the changing room areas where they've got dedicated seating with phone chargers, recognizing that stereotypical bored husband waiting for his wife to try and close, which is a huge generalization. But but they're, they're understanding the, the habits, behaviors of people on different shopping journeys through um, and the home section as well, particularly in their lead store. You know, I, I described it as being like John Lewis, which is a compliment because John Lewis do home and from a merchandising point of view really well. So I was chuffed a bit. And, and another thing that really stood out at Liverpool, they're, they're testing um, like a coffee shop, not a coffee shop environment, but it's a food shop, like a sort of a Greg's format, yeah. Um, which is a new format. So they were testing that. But there were four different checkout concepts. Uh, and I got to chat to their head of checkout after I visited the store and you'll have self-checkout. You'll have the, the, the traditional um, uh, conveyor belt man checkout. You can have your own trolley on a conveyor belt self-checkout and you can use a mm. trolley for self-checkout as well as basket. And they're testing and learning different ways of doing this. So I looked at this and, and I know, you know, their, their, their clothing and home sales are up 11 percent. Their physical yeah. retail store sales are up 14%. And when you look at the challenges that John Lewis are going through and everyone, people going, oh, this format's dead. You turn around and at the same time go, well, look what Marks and Spence have done. They've, they've reinvigorated this brand. They're creating wonderful store experiences and they're closing some of the smaller stores and, and, and starting to open some of these big stores. You know, mm. and these are, you know, I don't know how big they are, 50, 100,000 square foot stores. And they're making a success of them. And, and I take my hat off to Stuart Machen, their CEO, taking on the government around the redevelopment of the Marble Arch store, um, where yeah. there seems to be political decisions. Um, and I know that's been reviewed now. So I, he's one of those inspirational leaders, a bit like Lord Wolfson at Next, where you're looking at them going, thank God retail has people like you because you are showing that you still can do it properly in this day and age. Yeah, I, I think I haven't got much to add. I think that's a brilliant summary. I love, um, you know, I've only seen some of the new store formats and worked a little bit with MLS in the past. And I, I've seen how that's changed and just, mm. my God, the, in food in particular, I mean, you know, it felt a little bit stale for a while. And now it's like, it's like going into a Whole Foods, but in many cases you're going into a Whole Foods, you know, in in a part of the country that hasn't had a lot of innovation in terms of stores. Yeah. Some of their most exciting newly opened stores, you know, really, and that's so refreshing to me, you know, uh, yeah. someone was talking the other day about like um, the new store in Leeds and it's like, mm. there's, there's re they're, they're really pushing this in every corner of the country. And I like that because it does get a bit tiring when there's this retail approach of, well, the new kind of test store, the new innovation is going to be basically nine times out of 10, it's either London or 25, within 25 miles of London. Yeah. Um, M&S are pushing the, um, you know, this kind of new invigorated um, store format everywhere. Um, yes. And I love that because I, I genuinely believe it will work everywhere. Um, yeah. I genuinely believe there's that same demand. People, there's there's love for M&S in the UK, obviously. Exactly. Um, but there's even more love for a refreshed M&S. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree with that one. Um, yes. I'm going to jump on to one that we we actually both saw this store in quite a yes. succession. Been around for ages. H&M Mitter Garden in Berlin. Now, um, yeah, we, I think we're both kind of blown away by it, but quite specifically because of the garden. The thing that got me about this is. Um, 
you know, it's there's something I'm starting to see more and more, you know, whether it's a Primark, um, even Zara doing this, definitely Uniqlo. But there's this sense that a lot of the fast fashion, mainstream fashion brands um, are starting to realise that actually they there is an opportunity for them when it comes to luxury for everyone. This idea of accessible luxury, luxury for everyone. Yes, on the one hand, that could mean a traditional luxury brand trying to be more approachable. Absolutely. But I think also it extends to mainstream brands thinking, well, you know, for our customer, what's special for them? Well, like, how do we make how do we mm. make a, a shopping experience that feels special for them? And therefore, could we do different things in different places? Most H&M stores are, frankly, pretty generic, pretty yeah. just white box, nothing much going on. But they are, to be fair to them, pushing different concepts in different areas. Yeah. And then when I went to Mittergarden, I was blown away by it because it was absolutely stunning, that store. And yeah. it had all the trappings of almost an independent fashion house. Amazing. Yes. They have an amazing rental area in the basement. Um, quite sparse kind of product mix. Um, mm. uh, really tastefully put together in terms of the colour schemes, the lighting. But then most of all, the standout thing is you go to the back of the store and there's this um, private kind of garden mm-hmm. that um, that connects to this H&M cafe area. And it's, again, I was talking about Uniqlo earlier. I mean, this gives any luxury space a run for its money. Like the sun was out when I went there. Yeah. And there were so many people sat outside enjoying a drink in this beautiful garden that was kind mm. of, it seemed, quite, it seemed kind of ancient. And there was this sort it of... Does. It doesn't feel like it was manufactured. It feels no. like you've, you've just discovered this thing. I mean, the interesting thing with Mitter in Berlin is it was Eastern Berlin, wasn't it? And, yes, um, absolutely. There are so many stores around the Mitter area that have these garden spaces because they were effectively yeah. a residential spaces and this has been developed for retail but that meter garden for 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 h&m was beautiful like you say the first time i went in i it was like you said with tracksmith it's one of those wonderful things i stumbled across while looking at other things yeah and um there was there was uh, an art display at the front of the store so they collaborate with local people on the space yeah as you say it's it's, it's very understated indie store is a wonderful way of, of describing it it doesn't feel like a corporate h&m store you know the uniglo right. stores you mentioned there's corporate uniglo merged with a beautiful old building here it's like they've forgotten the dna of their traditional brands and they and, uh, when i spoke to a member staff you've got a curated range of standard h&m there's a few bespoke pieces then there'll be a collaboration with someone else you've got the garden and the cafe area you know you've got lovely decking and a huge awning there's an old uh i think there's a water feature and sort of statue at the yeah. back but it feels like it's already been there it's not been designed to be part of an h&m offer and i'm absolutely and I'm, and there are another there are another one of these mainstream brands that are doing interesting things i mean i could have also mentioned um their stunning Williamsburg concept store as well. Yeah, the pop-up space, um, yeah, and, and so it's great to see the these sort of, again, H&M, Uniglo, they're going, this is our core offer. And now here are some peripheral things that we're doing that are going to surprise and delight you and create conversation. And here we are talking about it as a result. And it was it was Absolutely. one of my favourite experiences going around Berlin. I thought it was I completely agree. And I think, you know what, fundamentally, it's exactly like that. It's that thing for these big brands just to go, do you know what, I think it's very easy for some of these mass market brands to go, well, these these kind of creative, unusual things that that retailers do with stores—that's something they do. We have our we have our rules. We have our thousand stores across the world. We have whatever we do. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think there there are increasingly more and more examples of saying it doesn't need to be like that. If you want to play around in a certain place, you can do it. And guess what? Your customers will follow as well because if it's interesting, they'll come. Um, so just that willingness to try something, even if you know it, it, it and then it's not going to kind of necessarily—I don't know 
um, cannibalize your your uh, no. your other stores or your other experience. You can do both. Um, yeah. And I think yeah, I think a lot of those brands are. Um, starting to do that. we're down to the last two ian yes um i'll let you take yours again i would say this is one of your all-time favorite brands it's up there with you know it is it is timberland brands. and um you know just talking about brands with core offers and doing something a little peripheral um i am a huge fan of the timberland brand from their product but also from their stores um and one of my highlights of this year was interviewing one of their senior store designers in Chicago, talking about the sustainable store that they have created in Soho in New York. And then I finally got to go and visit it um, a few months ago um, with huge expectations and a, and a fear it wouldn't be as nice as I thought it was going to be. But <laughs> I was blown away and I dragged you around to see it as well, uh, didn't I? Because I wanted Love you it. to sort of see... And it was incredible because with, with when I had the conversation with Timberland, they decided they want to be sustainable. They had to go at a store that was sustainable a few years ago and they felt, OK, there's a lot more we can do to evolve. And the conversations they were having, they were looking at everything. And, and I love this sort of mentality. It was like, what's the sheet size of the raw material we use to make this thing? So if we make our unitary 10 centimetres smaller, we can get three of them out of a sheet instead of two. Uh, or it would, they were sort of saying, well, we've got all the stuff ready to ship to the store on a pallet. Do we need to use cling film to wrap around the pallet? Can mm. we get everything on two lorries instead of three? Is that sort of mentality that Lush have? It's the incremental gains. Can we, you know, let's just stop and look at this. And I, and I remember Amber, the lady I was interviewing, was sitting there and they're having these meetings and the brand director went, don't beat yourself up. We're not going to get everything right. OK, we go we're going to we're making huge steps forwards. And if we don't get everything right, that's fine. We'll look at it for next time. And I love companies that think like that. You'll never yeah. get it perfect, but we're moving in the right direction. And when we went into the store, you know, the walls were left as they were. And it's not that retro industrial chic. The thinking was, we'll leave the walls alone. We'll save on the energy and the time and the money and the materials building a new wall we're going to build structures and a lot of their freestanding display industry was using the osb which is normally a mm. substrate material <laughs> the only, they did, did redo the floor but the explanation was that they, they had some metal display unitary that fitted into recesses in the floor and if you looked across the floor there were loads of these little metal caps and so you could remove the cap and reposition the unitary so their thinking was we will spend time and money and materials creating a new floor. But as a result, we can completely modularize the store, change the look and feel without having to create new unitary. So the win was actually in the overall lifetime of the store. And so from a sustainable point of view, it was brilliant. And it was very on brand. This OSB material, I, I think this is the first store I'd seen of them using it. So it was a new material mm -hmm. for them. And I, I, I stand to be corrected on that. But it absolutely fitted in with the brand. It wasn't a reinvention of their store environment. It was a beautiful evolution. And there was a lovely bit at the back with personalization and localization as well. Um, and, and the staff were completely on board. They were so excited about the store. They very kindly let me sort of shoehorn it into my safari that I was doing with, 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 with yeah. you guys. Um, and they came around so enthusiastic. And to see the staff loving the direction the company is going, they become the physical masterpiece of the brand. I mean, what did you think? Absolutely loved it. And this is a good example of how um, you and I think similarly, but sometimes slightly different about the same thing in an entirely positive way. So I, I loved it as well. And as we often do, I kind of I kind of saw a macro trend thing going on where you saw a lot of the micro. And it's the same thing, but basically it was an example of something I'm seeing more and more, which is 
which I love, is big retailers going, you know, we're going to stop. Um, firstly, we're going to stop talking about sustainability and making the whole store just about we're going to cut this by this or whatever. Or here's here's a product that we've made from waste material and then just make and then basically getting the staff to focus entirely on that. Actually, it was all about non-sexy sustainability, the real stuff. How is this store made? And the thing is, the staff knew that stuff. I love that. Yeah. They knew. Right. You know, it was, they, they really got like and it had really been taught to them that, you know, here's some practical stuff that we've done in this space to try and make it as energy efficient as it can be. It's great. And it and I think I've probably, I think we all have, I've just seen a bit too much of kind of, um, you know, sustainability stunts. And it was nice being in a space that felt like the opposite of that. They weren't yeah. talking about it in those terms. They'd just done a bunch of stuff that incrementally led to a, a space that was a bit more efficient. And that's great. Yeah. And the staff had that story to tell. And I think that's a trend I'm seeing is, is you know, I talk about a lot, but it's kind of um, transparency and responsibility rather than sustainability yes. and really engaging with what that is and all the different, this incredibly complex nightmarish sort of issue that we face um, actually engaging with it in practical terms and in honest terms, because it wasn't a space that was saying this is really sustainable and there's cool stuff going no. on here. It was just doing some good positive things yes. and let us tell you about those because you might learn from it and it might be useful for you. I love that. And I've seen it, you know, there's a few brands doing, I think Lush are a brilliant example. Patagonia, of course, have yeah. done it for years. Ace and Tate are doing some really good things around this. Less Strange, I want to mention as well, because they yeah. um, are wonderful as well for this kind of transparent, uh, responsible approach. Yeah. And I just thought Timberland, I, and to be honest, what was lovely, I didn't know they were doing that. And because you took it, I was like, wow, this is a big brand who are quietly, yeah. I think, doing things the right way. Yeah, yeah I love it. It reminds me of when Nike first introduced plus size mannequins in Nike Town. There's no big press yeah. release about it. They just put them in because the, the, their thinking was, well, plus size people buy our products as well. So we should. It was just a sense of it's just the right thing to do. And I, I get this with this store as well. Like you say, there were no big signs going, this is our sustainable store. It just happens to be walking the walk way more than talking the talk and, and i love that now the final one our number one you 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 put this as number one and i would have as well so i let you introduce the wonderful area of chicago called wicker park yeah thanks and so this was i mean there's a few reasons uh, i chose this but we were saying oh maybe it won't just be stores it'll be kind of entire experiences i'll put this so firstly this was um project me and Ian did together and we got to spend sort of a whole day or two um, prepping it. So first, it was just a really great experience. We were there in Chicago um, exploring different parts of the city that we knew fairly well. And I'd done bits before, but actually this neighborhood in particular was new to us. And just wandering around there, seeing together a bunch of stores we hadn't seen before in an area we hadn't seen before, in and of itself was great because we just we were like, oh, my God you do the same job as, as I do. And you are also aware how lucky we are to do this and how grateful we are yes. as, you know, as, as, you know, challenging as it can be as well. Sometimes we were just like, this is great. So first it was just the experience of that and doing it together. It was awesome. But more specifically, what I loved about it was I had that feeling of, and it doesn't always happen, you know, when we're doing tours, right? If we do a tour, we, we've done one together in New York. So you're in Soho um, or maybe you're up in Midtown, Fifth Avenue. And you're in London, you're in Oxford Street, Covent Garden, and you know, you're in Paris, you're going down the Champs Elysees, and whatever. You're in these different iconic locations, and they're great, but you are very much seeing um, very established, big flagship retail locations where big brands try out big stuff. And that's great, and it's important for us to show our clients that stuff. But now and again, you get this, this magical thing where I think you kind of can show people an area that's really changing, and you've got some big brands. So Adidas had actually a really nice. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, Originals flagship in Worker Park. Um, you know, Rafa have an amazing kind of one of their amazing um, uh, club spaces there. We're both big Rafa fans. Um, so you had, you know, some fairly established things, but also so many independents between them and proper great retail that we don't talk about enough. I mean, you know, remember that amazing independent bookstore? There was like a yes. sci-fi comic store. Yes, Combies, it was so good. And then there was a couple of like Army Navy surplus stores yeah. I love, which kind of have just done their thing of, of never changing and going through about three cycles of being uncool and then cool again. And now they're cool again, but they haven't yeah. changed. They're just there. Um, yeah. And then in between them, you know, emerging brands where, you know, maybe it was the right location. You've got a Supreme store, right? Yeah. Minute, which does its weird thing, but everyone loves it. And it just felt like the most amazing expression. Of how, and then Foxtrot, of course, as well. Foxtrot are great, really fascinating business. It's kind of by far the most uh, successful kind of grocery convenience chain in Chicago, but they're only yeah. in Chicago through their own digital kind of model. Such different types of retail all in one neighborhood. But it yeah. felt like we were seeing in within its journey as a neighborhood of changing yes. as opposed to you know a totally underdeveloped area or this fully developed retail location mm. and because of that it felt like a place where independent brands can still thrive um a big brand could come in and do something interesting if it fit the area it just felt like that really nice balance um i say this you know of course it will probably change i'm sure it's already a location that you yeah. probably struggle to afford to live i'm not by no means saying it's um yeah it's not gentrified, of course it is, but it's just, from my point of view, it's lovely seeing an area that still had that mix. Because when the mix is right, and you you you, you see this as you go around the world, when the mix between independent, um, different categories, you know, um, when it's when it's right and it's balanced, everything can work together. It didn't feel weird that there was an Adidas and a Rafa and a Supreme and an no. independent comic book shop and bookshop, you know, yeah. uh, that it, it worked beautifully. Um, yes. So it just, it was one of those lovely moments in time where I was like, this is great. And it may be even in a couple of years, it won't quite be the same. That's the nature I agree. of locations like that. Yeah, but that, um, that, Sunday, mor it. that Sunday morning, we were, like I said, we, we were like a couple of kids in a sweet shop, weren't we? Just walking around yeah. and just seeing these really interesting stores. I mean, the other two that really stuck, stood out was the, the film processing lab. I can't yes, remember oh its God. name. And <laughs> so we're good. walking past going, is this a fashion store? And it was all really coolly done inside. And it's a place where you process old traditional film, photography yeah. film. And they were doing really well. And, and it turned out the owner's wife was an interior designer, which explained the very sort of flamboyant environment. But they were thriving. And the other one yeah. that I think we both love was Wanna Socks. Yes. Uh, oh my God. One of the so local Chicago company that makes socks. And the store was one of those examples of enthusiastic people who just had a go. They don't know the rules of what you should or shouldn't do. Mm. They didn't get everything right. But the way they got things slightly wrong was so wonderful and appealing. You know, you, you yeah. had some traditional things. There was some LED signage and neon signage and things like that. But then they'd like just cut out pages from magazines and stapled them to wall like a teenager in their bedroom yeah i always remember is the tin foil they put on the, the tin foil on the changing rooms yeah <laughs> just everyone yeah. came out of there with a big smile on their face because the enthusiasm of the brand is brilliant an hm an h&m or a next or a nike could never do this sort of thing because you'd yeah, be going why yeah. oh, they're putting tin foil on the wall that's awful but as a startup brand there's there's um an, an, an innocence and enthusiasm that makes you smile and, and people often say to me well you always tell people they shouldn't do this and I'm going yeah established brands you know there's, there's a different expectation but here it works and it's like when you go into one of those like the Quimby's bookstore it was rammed full of stuff 
And we're always talking about, you know, the paradox of choice and spread things out and space them out. Yeah. In that story, didn't you wanted to browse? It was like a car boot with a sense of fun, you know, Absolutely. And, 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 and storytelling and, and it works. And so that's what I love about independence is no one told them why they shouldn't do it. So they go and do it and they're all the better for it. And it yeah, was totally. my standout. And much like Mitter in, in, in Berlin, you know, I, I now when I go to big cities, I want to find the Wicker Park in that city. Exactly. You know, most most big cities will have this sort of cool, trendy bohemian area that's starting to find its own feet and doing its own thing. And and I really think that that's the space where you will see the best of retail. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I so agree. And I think, you know, um, yeah, and there were so many. Uh, shout out also to remember Reckless Records that just had. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So good. And just like, but so initially you just overwhelmed, like seemed overcrowded, but totally worked. Just a madness to that store that worked. And then the T-shirt deli, which was, um, yeah. you know, a bit like, um, I forget the guy in um, in Boston. Um, Johnny's Cook, Johnny, Johnny Cook. Yeah, yeah. It was like another Johnny Cook, and it was great, and it really worked. Um, but such a different variety of spaces. But also a shout-out to the big brands there, because actually it, it mm. worked. It, yeah. it shows that, I don't know, I think, you know, me and you talk about this a lot, too much retail locations, whether it's a mall or a high street downtown, whatever it is, feel like a you know that that um that they're not collaborative they're, there's that yeah. competition you I know mean, this big brands coming that's an issue for us or what i think we don't remember enough the importance of actually the collaboration and how the right mix works beautifully mm. in any given area because you could see that you could see it even with the suit with supreme there was a queue of people in that neighborhood yeah queue of kids that were going to supreme and do you know what some of them probably then are going to jump over the road and go to reckless records yeah that's a cool shop in a different way it's been there for 40 years it's remembering that's a good thing you know, you yeah. can. There's a there's um there's lots of kind of mutual benefits to that way of working between more established and yeah. a newer retail, big and small. It, it can work, um, uh, and it's something that doesn't happen enough. You know, um, no, so, I yeah. agree. I agree. That's so, it. so that's our top ten experiences for the year. Um, I'd be interested to see people's thoughts on what should have been on the list, what they think of the things that are on the list as well. So, please, please, sort of feel free to. Uh, add comments and suggestions as well so well, well thank you for a fabulous year jack it's been a joy i mean we met 11 months ago we've, yeah, we've yeah. gone around the world and and, and enjoyed <laughs> and shared things as well and, uh, and yeah, our relationship has um has blossomed pretty quick isn't it? normally it is normally it might be longer than this before you start going on holidays together <laughs> <laughs> yeah we let straight in didn't we a proper retail bro yeah yeah so yeah, thank you brilliant. very much for, for sort of listening to our views. Um, as Jack says, we're planning to do some more podcasts in different formats through 2024 as well. So we look forward to chatting with you then as well. So everyone, including you, Jack, have a fabulous Christmas and we'll catch up soon.